This morning, I would ask you, if you would mind, taking out your Bibles, if you have them, or you can follow along on the screen, we're going to be reading just a short text. It's actually from Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to be looking at verses 25 through 28. And it says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you this day for your word. And God, as we come to it, we just pray, help us to hear what you want to say to us today. Lord, help me to be out of the way and that you would be seen and what is said and done would bring you glory and honor, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have begun two weeks ago on a sermon series called Following the Path of Jesus. And if you were here, then you know what we have spoke about. If not, and you've missed a Sunday, I'd invite you to go back onto the web or onto Facebook and listen to those messages. We talked the first week about knowing whose you are. Second week, we talked about knowing who you're not. And this week, we're going to be looking at knowing your why. Knowing your why. Now, there's a guy that's named Eric Little. Some of you may have seen the movie from 1981 called Chariots of Fire. Now, I realize some of you in the room are not old enough to remember that movie. I found out that from Daniel and Maria that they, I don't think, were alive yet when that was even produced. Okay, so yes, that's dating me a little bit. But anyway, if you remember the movie, is about Eric Little, um, who ends up in the Olympics. But he started out, he was parent, he was, uh, his parents were Scottish missionaries in China. And Eric, in 1920, goes to the University of Edinburgh to study. And Eric was very gifted in athletics. I mean, he was great at playing rugby, he was a fast runner. In fact, his preferred race was the 100 meter. And at one time, he was noted to be the fastest man in Scotland. Um, so he had a lot of gifts. And at one time, his sister, Jenny, in the film, if you've seen it, she confronts him, feeling like maybe his athletics are getting in the way of his calling that God has on his life. And... Eric says some really important words in that dialogue. He says this, he says, But Jenny, God has made me fast. I feel God's pleasure when I run. And I think that's really powerful, that it wasn't that God said you can't run fast. That's not, that's not holy. Eric recognized God has made me this way. And because God made me this I can take pleasure and I actually sense God's presence in the moment. Now, Eric goes on and he does qualify for the Olympics. And prior to heading to the 1924 Olympics, he finds out that the heats for the 100 meter, the race which he is favored to win and probably break the world record, the heat is going to be run on Sunday. And for Eric, he felt that was a violation of what God was asking of him because he really, for him, took the Sabbath day really very seriously. And so 
He made the hard decision because he felt like it wouldn't be honoring for God for him to do that. He backed out of that particular race. He gave up his chance. Now, Eric does go ahead and is um, given the opportunity to run the 400 meter, which was not really his race, but he was willing to give it a shot. So at the Olympics, if you remember in the story, he goes and he's going to run this race, and on the morning of the race, he's getting ready, and one of the stewards comes that's caring for the athletes and hands him a piece of paper. And it's folded, and he unfolds it, and this actually happens, and it says in the paper, he doesn't say who it was from, it says, in the old book it says, he that honors me, I will honor. Eric recognizes that coming from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30 in the Bible. And he says as he ran that race, he said that verse was going through his mind of living to honor God and running for God's pleasure. And as he ran that race, Eric ends up winning and breaks the world record in the 400 meter. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about Eric, but Eric, I believe, knew his why. And, you know, I believe when we look at the gospel, we find that in following the path of Jesus, Jesus knew his why. Now, I would suggest that it come, we can find a glimpse of it out of John chapter 17. I know we're not really dealing as much with the gospel of John, but I just want to read these verses. And I, Jesus speaks these words, and he says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all these you have given him. When I look at Jesus' why, I think he defined it very clearly. He said he saw his why was to glorify God and to bring life, eternal life, full life to humanity. Now, that may not be a, 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 you know, a new revelation for a lot of us, but I just want you to hear those words. That's what he defined as his why. Now, I think people all around us, and maybe even you today are here, and I don't know if you are trying to figure out your why. Why are you here? Why are you on this earth? What is your purpose? What am I supposed to do? Have I accomplished it? And you know, whenever we don't know our why, I don't know about you, but I find it myself when I'm questioning it, I find I often feel unfulfilled, I feel somewhat aimless, and I can lack passion. When I know what I'm about, I can be energized and full of life. But when I don't, maybe not as much. So what is our why? That's a big question, right? You're all waiting for it. Um, I like what it says in the Westminster Confessional. Now, the Westminster Confessional, I don't know how many of you are familiar with it. If some of you grew up Presbyterian, you may be very familiar with the Westminster Confessional. But it was composed in 1646 by a council of theologians. And these people got together, also along with members of the English Parliament. And they were developing statements of faith. What did they believe? Um, and they were developing for the Church of England. And what they said was this. This is how, what they came down to. And I think it's actually really pretty good. They said the chief 
purpose of man, and I would say the chief purpose of man and woman, is to glorify God and to worship God forever. They said, if you want to know what your purpose is, it's to glorify God and to worship God forever. Now, hang with me because you're going, well, that doesn't sound super exciting. But if we think about glorify, I want to break it down for a minute. Glorify means to honor, to value, and to elevate above all. So to glorify God is ultimately to say, I honor and value at such a level, I am going to put you at the top point of my focus in my life. That's what it means to glorify. Now, worship comes from an old English word meaning worship. And that word, ultimately, when we think about it, is coming to the conclusion that God is worthy of my praise, my life, my service, and my love. Hear that? God is worthy. I have made that declaration in my own heart. Nobody told me I had to do it. I wasn't instructed if you don't do it. It was something inside of me is crying out that this is really what longs within me. And I see in John chapter 17, when Jesus is talking about his why, that's what drove him. He said, I just, that's my, I just got to glorify my father. I just got to bring life to people. I can't do any other. That's why I'm here. It drove his passion. It drove his life. Now, I want you to hear an encouraging word with this, y'all. This why doesn't take great amounts of money. This why doesn't take incredible talent, ability to be able to speak well or do music or play sports. It doesn't take the ability for us to um, look to someone else for our direction and our, or, or their approval. Our why is outside of all that when we live into this why that Jesus lays out for us to glorify God, to worship Him, that we might bring life. So when we look at the text we were looking at this morning in Luke chapter 10, we look at, we live out our why then by a couple of things. And I think we live out our why of glorifying God, first of all, by loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, when we read the text, I think it's very interesting, isn't it, that the religious leader, it says he's an expert. Actually, he's an expert theologian, okay? This guy's super sharp, understands the religious law. Now, as he begins to speak, he doesn't really address this first one. Jesus says, what, what are you supposed to do? And he says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, right? And I hear in those words him saying, I got this. I got this. He doesn't even spend time on that one. He says, I've just got it down. Now, you know what? I don't know about y'all, but I've been, when, since I've been a district superintendent, I spent eight years getting to sit where you all are, right? So, so I apologize. You know, you're dealing with a preacher up here that's had eight years of sitting in the pew. But as I was out in the pew, I can't tell you, I mean, like probably you, we hear quite often in the church, love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And can I be honest with you and say, I've heard that a lot, and how many times in my soul I'm going, I got this. I got it. I hear it so often that I don't even think about what it actually means. I just got it. And I think this religious leader wasn't much different. 
But if we really look at it, and I'm actually going to see, I'm going to spend more time on this than probably the other part of this text. But I think living out requires having an idea what love is. If we're going to really love God, we're really going to glorify God, we've got to know what love is. Now, let me just tell you, if you Google what love is on the internet, you are going to get all kinds of answers. And there's a lot of them. And they can tell you, and, and some of you may agree with, some of you are not. But as I look through the Gospels and I read Scripture and reflect, here's what I've come up with my definition of what I think love is. I think it's living, it, it is act, the act of giving and opening self to another or something and then laying ourselves down for it. I'm going to read that one more time. I think it is the act of giving of self and opening self to another or something by laying self down for it. So ultimately, it is a response. Now, I believe that happens in loving God. We, you know, because, you know, I can't tell you to do that. I can't tell you to love somebody, right? I mean, my spouse can't tell me, you got to love me. I mean, they can tell me, but it doesn't mean I'm going to do it. You can't tell your kids or your grandkids, right? You could tell them, you're going to love me, but does that mean they're going to? It is an inner something that transpires as a response to wanting to because of something that I've experienced or something that has transferred, trans, that has happened within me. So I believe it starts, right, as we believe, we talk about in the Methodist Church about preventing grace. I think it's really this that we first, to be able to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, starts with we have to hear the draw of the Holy Spirit. That God calling out to us and saying, I know who you are. I see you. I want to be in relationship with you. I mean, there's that sense that we have to open ourselves up to say, and if we haven't heard that ever in our lives, I just invite you to say, God, I, I need you. I want to hear it. Because I believe God is speaking it. Sometimes there just may be, sometimes we don't hear it. But it starts with, if we're going to live out our way, it starts by being able to hear God drawing us by the Holy Spirit. And then as we hear it, it's a recognition and gratitude that we know that God loves us, that God has come to give us life. So when I hear that, there's a sense of sensing the love of God coming at me, wanting to invite me into relationship, and I respond by saying, wow, I say yes. And I'm so thankful because if you've encountered the love of God in your heart, there is something inside of us that goes, yes, amen. I, I am so glad you love me. I mean, I see me in the mirror, y'all. I see me. God, you see how messed up at times I am, but you still love me and you're inviting me into relationship. I think it's pretty cool. You know, I had a... a and, and we were praising God, you know, with that, that he gets us up, that he gives us life. I, we have an Anglican, or excuse me, I had one of the uh, DSs on the cabinet with me, was Dee Williamson, and she was just elected as the first African-American bishop in the United Methodist Church in our jurisdiction. And, and she used to say on cabinet, she would, she would pray and say, Lord, thank you for waking us up this morning, that you gave us a new day. 
And, and you know, thank you for giving us life. I mean, she had that sense that today's a gift, right? God gave it to me. And I'm so glad because I can't do it without God being with me. And that God has invited me into relationship. That's what starts to drive that sense of, God, you have first loved me, and in response, I love you. So loving God is then a decision out of that love to focus on glorifying God with all our thoughts, all our words, all our talents, all our passions and actions. I want it all to glorify God. I want everything in me to glorify God. And so it's not that somebody's telling me how to live or what I should or shouldn't do. I am making the decision, God, I just want to be aligned with you. That's my why. And, and just pressing into that. And in the church or to help one another walk into that, right? Now, the good thing about this, no matter what stage of life you're in or what challenges you're facing, that God is inviting us to experience that why. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I find that's easy to say, but it can be hard still. Because we all have a human nature, right? And our human nature and the bend oftentimes, anyway, I find for me, maybe this isn't true for you, my human nature's bent is to focus on self, to focus on works, what works for me, what is easiest, and what feeds me and my desire. I mean, I just find that's how I bend. And I have to wrestle against that. I have to say, God, I don't want to do that. I really just want what you want. And pressing in. And I think that of Eric Little. I mean, when I see him, you know, he had to sacrifice what he was best at. His 100 meter, he said, I'm going to give that up because I think God is asking me to let go of that race. And as a result, he, you know, I just, I'm, I'm going to let go of it and trust that God, somehow you've got something different. Or John, you remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about um, John the Baptist was the guy who was baptizing before Jesus came on the scene and he was getting people ready for Jesus to show up. And you remember as he's baptizing, lots of people are excited about John. They thought he was a good preacher. Or anyway, whatever he did, something was drawing. They liked the attention. They liked the excitement. So they're all becoming part of kind of John's following, right? And then Jesus comes and Jesus gets baptized. And after that, Jesus goes across the river. And when Jesus goes across the river... All of a sudden, they start to see their crowds aren't as big in John's camp anymore. And some of John's disciples come to John, and they say, we got a problem, John. All the people are going over to the other guy's church. Anybody ever had anybody leave your church? And they're going over to the neighbor's church, and we go, I can't believe they did that to us. And you know what I appreciate John says? John says, it's okay. My why was to point to that one, Jesus, I must decrease so he might increase. See, when we know our why, I don't have to get stressed out when I'm going through struggles or hardships or challenges because it's like, it's okay. God's got this. And, and it brings a sense of peace, right, into us in those moments. Now, the second focus that I think that Jesus brings out in this particular text about how we live out our why is not just loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, but then he goes on to the second part. He says, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I'm not going to spend as much time on this, but I just want to flag what I think he really is trying to get at here that's really important for us. Now, he starts with the, right after the text we read, he goes on to the story of the, the Good Samaritan. Most of you here probably know that story, but if not, 
uh, just to oversimplify and to make it quick, it's basically that Jesus tells a story that there was a Samaritan, uh, or excuse me, there was a Jew that was going down to Jericho, and this Jew gets beat up by robbers, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. And some religious Jewish people come by, the people you would expect to take care of him, and they don't do it. But there's another guy that comes by, and this guy's a Samaritan. Now, we all here probably know, but if you don't, Samaritans were despised by the Jews. And I got a feeling that Samaritans didn't think too highly of the Jewish people either. And so I think it was probably a mutual relationship. But anyway, this Samaritan comes, and he sees the man, and what does he do? He stops, he makes time, he bandages up his wounds, he puts oil on him, He puts him on his mule. They walk all the way down to Jericho and then he pays for him to have lodging and somebody to take care of him. And he says, if if that's not enough, hey, I'll, I'll bring some more money through next time I come and we'll take care of him. He goes beyond the call, right? This Samaritan lays down his self for a neighbor. Now, this is where this expert is struggling a little bit. He says, um, who's my neighbor? And and he wants to define who's his neighbor. Who's the people I'm going to hang with? Who's the people I'm going to love and minister to or be with? And Jesus says, your neighbor ultimately is this. I would say it's whoever God brings into your sphere. Who's God bringing in your sphere that needs to know that God loves them? They need to encounter Jesus. And because you're, you're glorifying, you're wanting your life to glorify Jesus, and you want them to know this great God who has ministered into our hearts and lives, and we want them to know that love and love them in spite of how we may or may not struggle at times with them. This includes even those people that we have issue with. I don't know if anybody has any of those people right now in your life that we kind of wish maybe would disappear. You know? And knowing that God is reaching out to them too. See, that's what I love about this particular church in my short time being here. I love the mission statement. Warm hearts, active hands, right? Warm hearts toward God. Warm hearts toward other people. And then we're going to not only just, we're not going to talk it, we're going to live it too. We're going to live in love with God. We're going to live in love with people. I think it's powerful. So how are we doing at living out our why? I can't answer that for you. You can't answer it for me. But a why, how are we living out? Is our heart truly focused on fully glorifying God, both towards God and in living out God towards those around us? So here's what I want you to do. I want you just to take a moment. I really want you to take a moment. And I want you just to kind of try focus in on God for a moment or just kind of be in a space of waiting. And I want you to, first of all, think about this. I want you to think about how much God loves you. Now, maybe you're here today and you're not even sure that that's true or you're not sure you believe in God. I just invite you to say, God, I'm here. If you could just speak, just let me know something, a sense. I think God's trustworthy. But I I want you just to take a moment and know how much God loves you. That God is here right now, and, and I think he is showing up right next to each and every one of us. 
And he's saying to you, I love you. I love you so much I came. I love so much I gave my life to you. I've given my life. I've given all for you because I love you. Are you, are you, are you receiving that? Right now, are you receiving that? Do you know that? I hope you do. And if not, I hope God will confirm that in you. Now, as that's coming to us, it should raise within us as we spend those moments with God a response that says, God, thank you for loving me. I love you too. And I just want my life to all be all in for you. Now, I realize we will fail and fall, but that's a daily thing, right? We just get back up and we recommit. Now, a second thing I want to challenge us with today and take a moment is now I want you to think about a person you don't care about or care for or you got issue with. And they've said things, they've done things, they're doing things to you. I want you to visualize what if they were in this space and maybe that person is in this space. I want you to hear right now and visualize and know God is showing up to, would be showing up to them or is showing up to them saying, I love you. Saying, I love them. I am with you. I am here for you as well. It's not just showing up for me. He's showing up for all who would come into this space. And as we do, that we understand how much God loves them and that we want to say, Lord, help me to now be Jesus to them, however you would ask me to be. So folks, I think our why is to live a life is focused on loving God, or is focused on glorifying God and letting others experience God's life that he's come to bring. I told you as I end this morning, there was the rest of the story with Eric Little, and I think it's interesting that after he graduated um, ran in the Olympics, he went back to China and actually was a teacher on the mission field. He did wonderful work, he loved kids, he loved um, ministering to them, but he was eventually, um, the Japanese overran that part of China and he was put in an internment camp during the, the war. In, and as he was put into this internment camp, you know, it was not an easy place to exist, but yet he used his gifts. He, he loved sports, so he'd organize games for the kids, and he loved to teach, so he would teach them, and he had a sense of humor, and so he'd try to make light in the midst of a very incredibly difficult situation. He brought life, God's life, into the midst of that internment camp. And how we know that is because right toward the end of his time in there, he developed a brain tumor. And Eric Little eventually died. It was actually only about five weeks, I believe, before the camp was liberated. But in, as soon as Eric passed away, here's what was said to him, especially by the youth in the camp. They said they felt a vacuum. Something had left. And they reported that the last words Eric Little spoke were these. It's complete surrender. Eric knew his why. He was surrendered to glorifying God with all his heart, mind, and soul, and glorifying God by loving his neighbor as himself. May we live out our why as well. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. 
God, we are so thankful that you love us and God, that you see us. And God, you have called us for purpose. Lord, today I pray for anyone here who has come into this space and they are feeling a void or aimlessness or feeling lack of value or no purpose or wondering. God, I pray that they would know how much you love them. And I pray, Lord God, that they might be able to embrace that love, that it might shine abroad in their hearts and fill their souls to live out the purpose you have for them. And for the one that's full today, I pray that light would ever increase in love towards you and others. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.